Okay, good. Well, I'm going to start a uh, three-part series this morning um, that I think is a, a, a very important and timely message. And I want to encourage you to hang in with me through all three parts the next three weeks. Uh, and I'm going to speak specifically about the issue of homosexuality and gay marriage. And I think there's been quite uh, a lot said in the public about this issue and there just comes a time when, you know, in terms of being a faithful witness, you just have to go ahead and, and uh, go on the record and be a faithful witness of the truth. And so that's what I'm going to do the next three weeks. I'll covet your prayers over this time. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you've got friends that uh, would like to hear uh, the biblical you know, um, response to sort of this, this intense activism that's taking place in the public. The next two weeks, I'm going to walk through the scriptures and deal with some of the logic and deal with some of the theology, and not, not in a way that's like over everybody's head, but in a way that's understandable so we can, you know, we can level the playing field once again with a biblical standard. Amen. So I would encourage you the next couple of weeks, bring uh, friends, or anybody that's interested in this topic. Um, today, I want to deal specifically with how Christians should respond to homosexuality and gay marriage, the issue of gay marriage. And, uh, and I would just say that I'm standing here not uh, with an attitude at all. I'm standing here you know, <clears throat> with a heart that's trembling over this because I see the status of our nation, and then I see the status of the church, and uh, I, I feel like this is a very, very important issue that's got to be addressed, but I feel like the church has not um, expressed the heart of the Lord in, in many ways. In some places, yes, but in many ways, no. And, and, then I, and so I'm also aware of the uh, potential backlash and flack you can get when you come out and take a stand for truth. I'm, I'm just willing to go there because it's love that compels us to proclaim truth. Now, this week um, in the Supreme Court, how many are aware of the, the two rulings that the Supreme Court uh, ruled on this week? Just raise your hand if you're, if you're aware of them. How many are not aware of it? Just be honest. A decent number. And then how many would say, I knew there was a ruling, but I'm not really sure exactly what that was. There was some stuff to it, but yeah, good number. That's what I thought too. Because I had to read through it, and I had to read through the legal ex, you know, explanations of it multiple times for, for me to kind of really comprehend what's going on. Let me give just a brief summary of the two rulings that the Supreme Court made this week, and, and, and it's from that basis that I want to go ahead and, and begin to address this issue and how Christians should respond. Uh, so the Supreme Court had two cases before them. One was whether or not uh, the Defense of Marriage Act signed by Bill Clinton in 1996, whether that's constitutional. And, and then they had a second case in front of them, which was over the um, state of California, the Proposition 8, which would define marriage between a man and a woman. And that has been an ongoing court battle for the last three, four years in California. So the Defense of Marriage Act, the first one, also known as DOMA, basically what happened was the Supreme Court said that DOMA was unconstitutional because what DOMA did was it, it um, defined across the board in our nation that marriage is between a man and a woman, and then anybody that was uh, uh, in, a, in a homosexual marriage, they weren't extended uh, uh, federal benefits and tax breaks. So what they did was they struck down DOMA and have gone ahead and extended federal uh, tax breaks and benefits to couples married in uh, states that affirm gay marriage. There's now 13 states and the District of Columbia in our nation that affirm gay marriage. So that's the DOMA um, ruling. Now, the Proposition 8 ruling is a little bit more intricate, and here's, here's what it is. 
You may remember that several years ago in the state of California, it was a ballot initiative for the state, and the people in the state of California voted, and they said, uh, it was a narrow margin, but they said they believed that marriage is between a man and a woman only. Well, when it came time for that law to be enacted, uh, an appeals court uh, said, no, this is not going to work. We need to do another vote. They do a second vote. The state of California still votes that marriage is between a man and a woman. This goes through an appeals process again and then goes to a a circuit court of appeals, Ninth District Circuit Court of Appeals. And what happens is the uh, state attorney general and the governor of California say, we are not going to um, litigate this on behalf of the state. In other words, the people have said they want it to be between a man and a woman, but the governor and the attorney general said, we don't care. We're not going to litigate it from the side of the, uh, the, the, you know, the people that want the ban on gay marriage. So that gets appealed to the Supreme Court. The, the people have lawyers from the state of California. They, the, the people from the state of California have lawyers that go to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says, we can't rule on this because your state legislators will not defend this law. Therefore, it goes back to the circuit court. The circuit court says there's been a stay on this law, but we're going to go ahead and lift that stay. And now California is the 13th state to to affirm gay marriage, even though the people voted against it. So, we're in a very unusual time in our nation. The standard for marriage that has been historically embraced through many, many cultures over thousands of years, we are in a time in the earth when that standard is now being changed. Legally changed. The definition is being legally changed. And not just in our nation, in many nations. And so we are in an environment in the earth where what I would call, what the scripture talks about is ancient ancient boundary lines are being shifted and moved. And we are in a season of redefinition in terms of uh, male and female marriage. We're in a season of redefinition in terms of sexual orientation. And unfortunately, the church has been largely silent on these issues. I was reading an article today, uh, just came out two days ago in the LA Times. Uh, The head of the uh, Human Rights Council, which is a, a major gay activist organization, they said that they are ecstatic about what's happened in the Supreme Court, and they are strategically targeting the rest of the states in our nation that in the next five years, each state would uh, affirm same-sex marriage. Okay, this is where we're at, gang. This is where we're at. Now, what I want to do is, I want to obviously make us aware of where we are, because a lot of times these things can fly over our heads. So we're in a, a, a really difficult season as it relates to that from a Christian worldview. But I want to give a response. And I'm speaking to our community, but I'm speaking to anyone that's listening by the internet, we have thousands of people that actually listen to our podcast. And, and I want to uh, hopefully um, proclaim a standard of righteousness. Proclaim a standard of, of biblical truth with mercy and tenderness. And that's critical and that's key. So I'm going to work through uh, these thoughts and I just ask you to bear with me. I've got a bit of content here, but I'm, I'm asking for your attention and for your for your connection and heart to really hear out what I'm saying. Uh, You know, I think the first thing I want to say is why would, I want to answer the question, why would you address this? Why would you come out on a Sunday morning and address this? And, And there's multiple reasons. And so I just want to work through my reasoning, what I feel in my heart. Obviously, I feel something from the Lord or I wouldn't be step, you know, stepping out into this area. But uh, you know, it's kind of like there's that whole thing, well, why don't you just believe what you believe and just let 
You know, just let others believe what they believe and just let it go. You know, I hear that a lot. Uh, people saying, even Christians saying, just believe what you believe and just let others believe what they want to believe and just let it go. And so I want to address that. Why should we address this? First reason, the church lacks clarity. Clear as a bell, it's so obvious because you see so many in the church just capitulating because of emotional and um, you know, social arguments that are not rooted in biblical truth. And so uh, you'll hear things like, you know, one of the slogans of the, of, of the folks that are gay activists will say, well, love can't be denied. And so, you know, what do you mean? These two people love each other. Who are you to say that they're not allowed to get married? And what I want to do over the next few weeks is address those types of appeals. Because the scripture has something to say about that. And so we need to get clarity. And, and here's who I'm really thinking about right now. I'm thinking about, well, I'm thinking about the body of Christ. I'm thinking about our community. But I'm primarily thinking about 18 to 25-year-olds who are growing up in a society that they don't know any different than, you know, same-sex attraction at 13, and people have boyfriends that are boys and girlfriends that are girls at 15, and why shouldn't they get married? I'm thinking about the, the young adult or young believer that doesn't have any standard. There's no plumb line for them to truth. And so they're just being swept away with a social stream, a social current that's rooted in immorality. And so I want to bring clarity to the issue for, for that group. I want to bring clarity to the issue for the church. And here's what I realize. And you know this saying, but what people don't understand, they tend to be afraid of. And that happens with the church too. When a church doesn't understand an issue, she will attack and fight like a dog in the corner. Beloved, the church isn't a dog in the corner. We don't need to be attacking and being vitriolic and rude and mean-spirited. That's yick. That's not how the church is supposed to respond. The church is supposed to have a voice and speak with clarity. And so what I want to do is lift some of the, fa- the, the, the veil of fear, lift some of the taboo, and, 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 and give understanding. And I want to call the church out of ignoring the issue on the one hand, or being vitriolic, mean-spirited, and attacking it on, from a, a nasty attitude on the other. So clarity. Secondly, because we lack clarity, we lack conviction. And I want to offer a biblical expression, a biblical worldview based in the scripture with mercy and love and tenderness, but clarity that will offer then uh, young believers, especially young adults, but offer believers the ability to stand their ground firmly rooted in truth. Because we don't have clarity, we don't have conviction, and that's why you see all this vacillating uh, in, in, in the body of Christ. And I'm I'm now speaking, when I say vacillating, and I'm speaking about uh, so many who have been Bible-believing, sort of, you know, even evangelical or charismatic believers that sort of just kind of are throwing away the conviction that there is a standard of righteousness, there's a standard of holiness that's outlined in the Scripture, and we're supposed to live by that. So I want there to be clarity, I want there to be conviction, uh, Thirdly, I want to equip all of, all of us to stand with tenderness. With tenderness. There is a requirement on the church of Jesus that we be a people that are tender-hearted, loving, meek, merciful, kind. And the church, because she doesn't know this issue, she doesn't understand this issue, she doesn't come across that way. And we need to go ahead and own that. I, I, I mean, I am as much speaking a word to the church about her inappropriate behavior over this issue as I am to somebody who's maybe caught in the uh, homosexual lifestyle that wants liberty and saying, hey, you can come out. Well, I'm telling the church also, you can come out of your anger and hatred. And there's a, there is a merciful, bold approach that the Lord wants to grant rooted in truth. And so I want to offer clarity, conviction, and that mentality of merciful, t- 
tender-hearted courage and boldness. We don't have to get all riled up and angry. We can be merciful, tender, loving, kind, and bold. Amen. And then fourthly, my reasoning, and I know I'm just kind of saying some of the same stuff right now, but I just want to emphasize it so it's clear on the front end. We are experiencing unprecedented pressure to redefine ancient boundary lines that are historic and that are the foundational issues of human societies. Man and woman in marriage is the key relationship that forms the foundation of any functional society. It's the only relationship that God sanctions for uh, producing children, for for sexual relationships, and it is a a testimony of the very nature of God. It's a God-designed relationship and a God-designed institution that we have no business tampering with. God is the one that came up with the designs of it. It is His and His alone. It is not up for human speculation. And because we are experiencing an unprecedented uh, current to try to redefine what is, has been for generations normative, this, there's activism behind that. That has to be addressed. You, you might say, well, brother, and I totally would agree with this. You might say, well, brother, homosexuality is no different than fornication or adultery. Why don't you take your soapbox against fornication and adultery? And, and the point would be this. I would 100% agree. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality. Absolutely. It's all the same. There's not a bone in me that wants to vilify somebody that's uh, struggling with homosexuality, you know, as a worse person than somebody that's, you know, struggling with adultery or fornication. That's not the point. We're all sinners. We all need grace. We all need mercy. We all need to find cleansing and deliverance through the blood of Jesus. That's, all those sins are exactly the same. So then you would say, well, why take aim at homosexuality? Because of the activism that is pushing an agenda on our culture that's trying to call us to redefine what man and a woman and the, the institution of holy matrimony is, we have to then have a response. What's the alternative? To shut up? To be quiet? To go in the closet? No. Because of the activism, we have to say something. We have to give a response. And so that's where I'm orienting from. Now, uh, and here's, here's the bottom line. I mean, this one is about that, responding to the activism. This, this is just a, a, an important thought. Anyone who's objective about this matter would step back and recognize that our right, our opportunity, our option to differ, to simply differ, is being vilified, and it's, and it's actually up, up in the air right now. It's at stake. The, the idea that you would differ right now puts you in a category that you're hateful, you're vitriolic, you know, you're, you, you're, you're inhuman. I've heard all these things. Simply because you differ. I want to stand for that. I want to stand for the opportunity for people to differ. Because in a minute, where, you know, to me, it's right now you're a hater if you differ over the issue of homosexual marriage. But what happens in the future if you differ over the issue of Jesus is God? I mean, why not make that the hatred? I mean, the, the Antichrist spirit will push this thing as far as it can go. And here's my point. I want us to be able to stand with, with clarity and calmness and boldness and say, no, beloved, homosexuality is a sin just like any other, and we're not going to redefine, you know, marital institution based on the sinful things in the heart of humankind. Our, our opportunity, our option, our right to differ is what's at stake, and it's being vilified. And I'll just, anybody that's listening to this, I'll just say this to you. Just because a Christian differs on this issue doesn't mean they hate you. 
And I want to make a, a, a bold statement on this. And I want the church to hear me. I want you to hear me. There are many, many quarters in which the church has handled this issue completely inappropriately. It's been often and it's been regular and much of the rhetoric that the church has, has offered over this issue has been downright hateful. It's been wrong. It's been sin. It has been sinful much of the way the church has handled this. When you hear a preacher coming out and vilifying homosexuals and saying all these things that are bigoted, and I mean, I've, I've heard the audios, I've watched the videos of pastors standing in pulpits calling for the death of homosexuals as if he had never committed a sin himself. I mean, come on. We are under a dispensation of grace Jesus Christ came and revealed grace. And this is what the Lord's doing right now is that he has pressed pause on his wrath and he is allowing humankind to choose by his mercy. Will they choose Jesus and, and receive liberation from their sin or will they choose sin and go headlong into bondage and ultimate destruction? But we are in a moment right now where the church, the community of the kingdom of God is compelled to call people into the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ through repentance. This is where we're at. And so, I want to repent on behalf of leaders and speakers and and people in the church who have been hateful and vitriolic and and, aggressive and have not offered the heart of Jesus to those that are struggling in homosexuality. And I'll just say, it's wrong. It's wrong for, for, for church people to come out angrily and, and assail people with their words. That's wrong. And the church has got to get the heart of God on this thing. We've got to get the heart of God on this. And so I repent anybody hearing this. For Christians acting, acting hatefully. It's absolutely inappropriate. And I'm asking you to find forgiveness over that issue. Would you forgive us? Now, if that's wrong, what is the proper heart attitude for Christians? How, what is the proper response for Christians? How should Christians carry their hearts? I've, I've got four uh, points here. There are four R's. Rich is proud of me this morning because I've lined them all up. R, 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 R. I have four steps to help us find the proper heart attitude. This is critical for us right now, gang. This thing is not going away. It's not going away. And so the church has to have an appropriate response by the Holy Spirit, by the Scripture, from a biblical worldview. Here's the things that I've come up with. Number one, the very first thing before we do anything over this issue, we have to receive God's heart for homosexuals. We have to receive the heart of the Father for people that are bound in homosexuality and that are struggling with same-sex attractions. There is a uh, social, religious taboo by which church people tend to just turn up their nose and have a a knee-jerk reaction of of negativity and hatred towards somebody who's struggling or is living in a homosexual lifestyle. Let me tell you something. That sin is exactly the same as any other sin. It has exactly the same weight as it relates to the uh, uh, um, lack of sanctification in the soul. It puts a, a, a barrier between a, an individual and God just like lying does, just like stealing does, just like any other sin, just like anger does or lack of mercy does. And I've found this over the years that if I will pray and get God's heart 
and ask the Lord. This is how you get God's heart. God, what do you think about that person? That's a person. That's an individual. What's your opinion about them, Lord? What are your emotions about them? How do you think, how do you feel about that individual? That I mean, a hundred times out of a hundred, 100% of the time, when I ask the Lord for his heart on an individual, my paradigm shifts and my viewpoint shifts about the way I think about them. Jesus, what do you think about them? And ordinarily, the very first thing the Lord says to me is, well, I created them. I had them in mind. They were a dream of my heart. And he starts from there. And I just start going, oh my gosh. This person isn't just, you know, spawn of the devil. This person is a person made in the image and likeness of God. One that Jesus loves. One that Jesus died for. And he starts working me through his heart for individuals. And man, I start, it starts breaking me down. And so... We've got to get God's heart. The first thing we've got to do is pray. You're not going to be able to minister effectively to anyone if you don't pray. If you don't get God's heart for them. I love telling people, don't say a word to a person about God unless you've talked to God about that person. So you pray. You get God's heart. You find out his emotions. You find out what he thinks and what he feels. Then... After dialoguing and listening to the Lord, okay, Christians, ready? Step out of your box. You listen to people that are struggling with homosexuality. You listen to people that are dealing with same-sex attractions. Over the years, I've, I've had the, the privilege, I count it as a privilege from the Lord, to be in a position where Young men and young women who have been struggling with these issues have come and confided in me and told me about their challenges, told me about their struggles, told me about abuses they suffered, told me about rejections they suffered, told me about you know, the, the confusion in their minds, the attacks of the enemy, things that they've gone through, being rejected by family. And listening to an individual and hearing their journey, it's, it's not going to sort of you know, validate their sinful choices, but it will bring you to a place of mercy rather than that place of judgment that so many Christians stand in, stand in, in, in their self-righteousness. You pray, you ask the Lord for his emotions and his heart, you talk and you listen. You know what I found? The church is the first out of the gate to speak and sometimes the last out of the gate to listen. But doesn't the scripture admonish us to be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger? Over this issue, we are fast to speak, slow to hear, and quick to anger. We've got to begin to get God's heart and we've got to hear what people are going through. Listen first, beloved. Before you speak, listen. Listen. And then after you've prayed, after you've listened, pray some more. (laughs) For real. Pray some more and make sure you've got the way the Lord thinks. After you've walked through that, then speak. But speak. Don't just shut up. Don't just ignore it. Don't just act like it's not there. After you've gone through the process to pray and hear and pray, then speak. Because you'll have the necessary tenderness to be able to speak and call somebody to righteousness after that. First R, receive God's heart. Second R, recognize that many who are struggling with homosexuality and same-sex attraction, have been hurt by the church. Recognize that point. I'm emphasizing it because the church loves to hold the standard of righteousness and not take responsibility for her own inequities. We've got to get off of the holier-than-thou bandwagon and say, look, we're broken and in need of Jesus' mercy, just like everyone else. We're calling you to a merciful Savior. Now, he's not going to, the way Jesus is, and we got to be clear about this, he says, come as you are and then repent and follow me. He's not come as you are and stay as you are. 
Come as you are, repent and follow me. But come as you are. With the church has got to just get over her self-righteous attitude. And, and man, I mean, we've got to be able to just handle it. When people come with hor- you know, horror stories of, of you know, a homosexual lifestyle or, or abuse or, or stuff that they've done that just, you know, it just you know, makes you just curl your hair a bit. But we've got to be able to handle this with a heart of mercy. So often the church, instead of uh, trying to be that safe place, has been the most dangerous place. And has wounded people on top of their already, you know, challenging issue with sin. We've got to recognize that we have hurt many people that are struggling. I want to say something. This will touch the African Americans. This will jolt the white people. But I want to say something for clarity's sake. If we uh, imagine... That we can say to a homosexual, well, whoever hurt you in the church, that's not my fault. Because, you know, we're here and we're just doing what we do. We didn't hurt you. It was them over there. You just need to let that go. That's the same as a white person telling a black person, an African-American person, well, it's not our fault that slavery happened to you know, your generations back in the day. I mean, I wasn't there. And if you've got any clue as a white person, you know that in talking to an African-American, that doesn't fly. It's, it's this, you've got to have this heart to, to take responsibility at a certain level for whatever has happened on your side, so to speak. And so as it relates to the gay, uh, the, the gay marriage and the homosexuality issue, the church needs to take responsibility by and large for all of the the, the vitriolic stuff and just say, hey, I'm sorry. I recognize you've been wounded by us. That's just wrong. I'm so sorry. It's not, you know, I, I, I would never want to be in favor of that. Please forgive us. That will gain way more ground than going, you guys are all in sin. You're all going to hell. You know, there's this, there's this knee jerk like that Christians jump into this Westboro Baptist knee jerk. Y'all are all going to hell thing. You know, God hates fags and all that. That is so off that that church or any group that called themselves by the name of Christ would do that is so off and so not representative of Christ. I want that message to be so loud and clear. Because I've talked and listened and prayed with and helped many get free from the bondage of same-sex attraction. I've seen them get delivered completely walking free. And I'm telling you, it didn't happen by looking at them in the eye and going, you're going to hell. Now, there was a call to righteousness and holiness in the middle of there, and in the middle of our conversations. But after they knew that I loved, that I cared, then they would hear me out. Beloved, this has got to be our status. We've got to recognize that many have been, church, uh, many have been injured by the church, and then from there, We have to reach out with compassion. This is the one the church doesn't want to do. You know, we might even say, I'll pray for the homosexual community. And we might even say, I'll tell them I'm sorry. But what I mean by reach out is, look for opportunities to form relationships. Yes. Befriend people who are struggling in a homosexual lifestyle or struggling with same-sex attraction. Befriend them. Be a friend. Reach out. When there's an opportunity, take that opportunity. I don't know if it's in your job, in your family, wherever, your neighbors. Be a friend. Be a friend. Do you think Jesus would wall himself up, you know, in his house, and, and, and go, well, they're gay over there. We're not talking to them. Do you think Jesus would do that? What about at work? Do you think Jesus would, you know, have the Christian Bible study at lunch and sort of look down on the homosexual guy that's over there that's not coming to the Bible study? Oh, he just needs to get right. I mean, do you think Jesus would, you know, sort of isolate himself? There's got to be...
a real heart of love walked out by us. A genuine heart of love. Reaching out. I had an opportunity um, last year. I, I was uh, I bought something off Craigslist, and I was going to pick it up. And when I showed up, the guy met me, and and it was clear to me, you know, he and his partner had showed up to meet me, and I just knew I knew he was gay. And um, and the whole time I'm just going, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? And. Uh, you know, I felt like the Lord was wanting me to say something. I just, I just didn't have any boldness. I just, I couldn't muster the boldness in the moment. So I, I paid him, got, got the stuff that I, I came to get and, and took off. And I'm in the car and the Holy Spirit's hot on me. And I, and I called him. And it was right when that whole mess with Chick-fil-A was, was just broiling, you know. And I called him back. I'm in, I mean, I'm three minutes down the road. And I just, I, the Holy Spirit is just compelling me. And I said, hey, uh, this is Billy again. I um, appreciate whatever good deal on the, on the uh, DVR is what I bought from him. And I, and I said, uh, uh, can I ask you a personal question? <laughs> this is as awkward as it gets. I said, can I ask you a personal question? He said, sure. I go, uh, are you gay? He said, I am. I said, I'm a Christian, and I just want to tell you something. And I, and I bet you, in that moment, he was like, oh, my, like, what's about to come? And I said, I just want to tell you something. I don't hate you. I don't hate you. I said, I love you. I care about you. I care about what happens to you. And I know there's this whole thing going on right now and this whole big issue of Chick-fil-A, but, you know, I know a lot of people are acting wrong. I said, I'm sorry about that. I said, I want to be clear. I think homosexuality is a sin. I think, you know, there's freedom for you in Jesus. But I want to be clear with you. I do not hate you. Uh, I love you. I care about you. And the guy just paused for a moment, and I thought, you know, he's going to either just cuss me out, you know, I'm just, or he's just going to hang up or whatever. And the guy just goes, he pauses, and he just goes, thanks. I really appreciate you saying that. I really appreciate you saying that to me. Like, have you ever gone to church? Do you ever? He goes, yeah, I, I grew up in the church. And we began to just, just you know, just discuss it just briefly and, 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 you know, fairly shallowly, just about his heart, where he's at, where things are at. And I just said, I just wanted you to know, not every one of us is yelling at homosexuals on the street corner. And I just wanted to reach out to you and let you know that. Sometimes, beloved, that's all it is. It's just reaching out, just making that step of love and, and not just dropping that judgmental hammer. And so I'm, I'm looking, uh, and I'm, I'm encouraging you to look for opportunities to form relationships with people that are struggling and with people that are living in the lifestyle. To actually look for opportunities to form relationships. Imagine that, the church, actually forming relationships with people who need Jesus. Wow, that almost sounds like Christianity. It almost sounds like Christianity. It almost sounds like Jesus. And I want you to look for opportunities to just show compassion, to just show love. So third R is reach out. We have to receive God's heart, recognize that many have been hurt, reach out with compassion, and then fourthly, we must resist gay activism. Now, lest you imagine that I'm sitting here kowtowing to gay activist agenda, the gay activist agenda that's taking place in our nation, I am not. I'm not okay with this. We're not going to stand for the redefinition of marriage. We're not going to be okay with this. I don't care if all 50 states affirm homosexual marriage. We will not buy in Homosexuality is a sin just like any other. I'll just say this with, with real clarity. Uh, you know, one of the key arguments right now that's pushing the homosexual agenda is that, well, somebody that's gay, they were born that way. Well, let me be very clear. Every one of us was born that way. We're all born with a sin nature. 
Every one of us is born with a propensity to immorality, to sexual perversion. Every one of us is born with a propensity to all manner of sin and darkness. There's no end to what we were born like. We don't comprehend the deep darkness of the hole that we were born in in sin. Of course, of course you were born that way. So was I. So were you. Every human being since Adam has been born under the darkness and and the, the horror that is sin. It's called a sin nature. That is no argument. We've all been born that way. I'm not going to just bow down to that as an argument. This is central. This is central to Christianity. We understand there is a sin nature. Human, humanity has to put off that sin nature, receive Jesus Christ, and receive a new nature. Amen. We've got to be born again. That's part of, that's the whole, whole point. We've got to be born again, become new creations in Christ Jesus. That is available for us. It's available for humanity. And so we've got to stand against this. Now, lest you uh, imagine that we can just sort of sit back and not do anything, guys, this is coming at us on all fronts. This is coming at us through schools, through athletics, through social clubs, the Boy Scouts of America just said, hey, it's fine, you can be openly gay and be a Boy Scout. Through uh, the medical field, one of the key uh, agendas of the American Medical Association is to be gay-affirming. I mean, they've, they've put it out in their statements. There's all sorts of avenues that things are being re uh, explained, re-expressed, re-addressed to be uh, gay-affirming throughout our society. In Canada, where, where uh, gay marriage has been legal for 10 years, this is where the agenda goes. Talking about education, that even in homeschool now in, in Canada, it's on the table that you cannot teach that homosexuality is a sin in homeschool. This is where it's going, gang. We have to speak up. We have to resist it with boldness. Tenderness in our heart for the the individual that's broken, but boldness against the activism. If you imagine that uh, we don't have to address, address these issues, that's completely naive. And if the church remains silent, it's as if the as if the conscience of our nation has been completely silenced. Now, so then what is our approach? Because I think a lot of times Christians, they kind of mix the issues. They go, well, this is a spiritual moral issue. We can talk about it at church, but we're not, you know, we're not trying to push political agendas. We're just trying to push Jesus. Why don't you just focus on Jesus and quit focusing on politics? Well, the problem is this. The spiritual moral issues are being dragged into the realm of politics, so we have something to say. And the church has a commissioning from the Lord to be uh, those that are, that are uh, 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 bringing the kingdom in the earth, promoting the kingdom. So our perspective is the kingdom of God. Our perspective isn't spiritual, social, moral, political, any of those realms. Our perspective is what is normative for the kingdom of God, and as members of the kingdom, what do we do as members of the kingdom? And so here's a a few points on that, our approach. Love, as members of the kingdom, we love, and love compels us to speak truth. Love compels us to speak truth, not anger, not, you you know, attitude, not arrogance, love. Ephesians 4.15, it calls us to speak the truth in love that we may grow up. Now, it's a word for the body, but it's a word for the church that we are supposed to declare truth in love. Declare truth in love. When you're sitting around the water cooler or the coffee table at, church, at work, and they say, so what do you think about it? I think you've got to say something. Hey, respectfully, I just want to say this. You know, I believe in Jesus. And I believe the Bible says this. That there's many different sins. Homosexuality is one of them. 
Just like fornication or adultery or anything else. And I think we need to not embrace sin. I think we need to turn from sin and love Jesus. Speak the truth in love. Some you go, well, that might cost me, brother. Don't you know? That really might cost me. Guys, following Jesus is costly. Following Jesus has never been a matter of convenience. And what I'm wondering is this. I'm wondering if we're the guys that have been eating junk food and blowing off exercise knowing there's a marathon coming. You know what I'm saying? You, all you do is eat Twinkies. You never go run, you know, a mile or two. But you know there's a marathon coming. When it comes time to run, you'll never be able to. My, 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 I have a fear in my heart about where the church is at, that we have been so self-serving, so self-centered in our messaging, so self-focused in our, our attendance at church, what's in it for me, so, so you know, me-centered that we have not had the message of lay down your life. You know, A.W. Tozer 50 years ago, 50 years ago, A.W. Tozer said, he said this, he said, the old cross killed the sinner. The new cross redirects the sinner. I would go a step further and say the newer cross affirms the sinner. Following Jesus is costly. It's not a matter of convenience. If you're going to speak the truth, it's not always going to be received and loved. But it's incumbent upon us. Love compels us. Love compels us. Love tells you that when you see somebody getting into something that's going to destroy them, you tell them, hey, don't. Love compels you that when you see somebody driving their car off the cliff, you say, stop. Love compels you to run into the burning building and rescue the person that's overcome. By smoke, love compels you to declare truth in the midst of a culture that's under a malaise of unrighteousness and sin. You speak the truth in love. Second, the, way, the second way that, we, that uh, we approach this, we recognize we're called to be salt and light. Salt and light. Salt seasons and preserves a society. It seasons and preserves. That's why Jesus used that example. It's a seasoning agent and a preservative of of foods. And so when there's righteousness uh, happening in the society, righteous people standing for righteousness, it has a preserving and a seasoning reality to it. And light, light exposes darkness. Guys, this is the role of the church. To be a seasoning, salty presence in the midst of a society that may not like salt. (laughs) That's part of it, gang. They may not like it, but the society needs the church. This world needs the church to be a voice for righteousness. Righteousness exalts a nation. The church must stand. She must stand as salt. She must stand as light. She must expose darkness. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. It's right there. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But look at this. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned again? Once it's become saltless, what good is it? Is it then, it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. Who's the light of the world? Jesus? Us. The church is the light of the world because we have Jesus in us. You are the light of the world. What if the the light of the world is hidden? What if it's covered up? A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify God. It's not just enough to have something to say, but have something to live that's that's real, real deal stuff. Thirdly, what's our approach? Our approach is to disciple nations. We're called by Jesus 
to disciple nations. Are you with me still? The church is called to disciple nations. Well, inherent in the concept of discipling nations is this. Discipling individuals. Talking to individuals. And he goes on and explains that discipling nations is about teaching them his ways. That's what we're required to do as Christians. The reason why you can't just be quiet and believe what you believe is because that's not Christianity. Come on. Matthew 28, there it is. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There it is. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Finally, what's our approach? Our approach is that we're to be the prophetic conscience of our nation. Wherever the church exists, we are to be the prophetic conscience of that place. Society needs us to oppose unrighteousness. They may not like it, but they need it. You may not always like your conscience. You ever did that thing and your conscience goes, what are you doing? And on the inside you're like, oh man, I just feel bad. I just feel bad that I did that. So what's the answer? Do you just blow your conscience off, throw all care to the wind, and just go, you know, fulfilling all the lusts of your flesh? flesh? No, you go, whoa, this is wrong on the inside. I shouldn't do this. Romans 1 describes it that God has hardwired his laws in the heart of all humans. He's actually written his laws on our heart. That's called your conscience. If a person could live 100% by their conscience and their conscience wasn't tainted, they would live by the laws of the Lord, because he's the one that put it on the heart. The church is called to be that conscience in the midst of a world that's sick in sin. Now, the world may not like that. That may cause problems. They really may get mad at us for that. But guess what? They got mad at Jesus. Come on now. This is where we got to deal with. Are we willing to stand for righteousness, knowing that it may cost us Peace of mind, friendships. It may cost us people getting angry at us. I'm expecting my name to show up on some websites after this series. I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm not, I'm not trying to be bold for obnoxious sake. I, I want to be bold to worship the Lord, to bring clarity. The boundary lines are being moved. We've got to know what they are and where they're supposed to be. Martin Luther King said this. He said, the church is not the master of the state, nor the servant of the state. The church is the conscience of the state. That is so right. And that's who you and I are called to be, the prophetic conscience. And so as I said before, I feel like we've just had too much self-centered, self-focused, self-helped preaching where we show up to church to hear the preacher tell us something good about us, how things are going to benefit and bless us, and we have this whole what's in it for me entitlement mentality as we come to the church and as we participate with the church. Beloved, this thing in following Jesus is about laying our lives down. There's a whole take up your cross and follow me reality that the church must enter into right now. It may cost us, but love costs Love costs. Love is laying your life down. And if we will be, if we will just be honest and truthful and caring and just speak up when we have opportunity and reach out in love, I tell you, it will shift things. That's the reality of the kingdom coming when kingdom people act like the king. That, that's how we have to walk this thing out. Kingdom people acting like the king. Speaking when it's unpopular. I feel like the days for convenient Christianity are just so far gone, just so long gone. That's so in the past. The days of consumer Christianity are so far in the past. I mean, just think about how Let's just be honest. Just think about how people choose church. 
And, and I, think, I think pastors and leaders, myself included, we're as much to blame for it. Because we want more bells and whistles than the next church so people will come for us. We want to meet, you know, meet their needs. It's not, we're not even trying to meet their needs. We're trying to be flashier than they are. And trying to preach messages that, that you know, will cause them to want to come back and hear more and more and more. Felt need messages that scratch the itch of their immediate needs. Meanwhile, the greatest need of all, who is God? Is, it's lying dormant in the street. Jesus still wants shepherds after his own heart who will feed the people on the knowledge of God. He still wants that. There's just this, there's a shift. There's an, we're in an urgent hour that's requiring a shift on the, on the operation of how we live as the church. And we are in a moment, especially over this issue of homosexuality and gay marriage, that requires boldness in meekness, with tender-hearted love and mercy. And this is who we've got to be, beloved. I feel it. I feel the weight of it. I've been kind of in a trembly kind of fog all week, feeling even the, uh, just the, the spiritual pressure on the idea of, of, you know, coming out and saying these things in a bold way, but I just think that we've got to take responsibility for our own compromise. We've got to take our responsibility for our own lovelessness. And then we've got to take responsibility for our own silence. And we've got to stand, stand up. Boldness and humility and love. I just want to wrap this up with this. If you're a person that's been struggling with homosexuality, or any sexual sin for that matter, whether it's a pornography addiction, whether you're you know, struggling with fornication or adultery or whatever, there is freedom for you in the blood of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus to set you free. That's real. That is so real. And I have the testimonies. I have the, 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 the people that have experienced what the, the truth of what the Scripture declares. Who the Son sets free will be truly free. Free indeed. It's, it's a promise of Jesus. And it's real. It's walked out by people who've experienced the grace of God to liberate them. If you're struggling... With, with homosexuality, if you're struggling with sexual immorality of any kind, there's liberty for you in the blood of Jesus. There's liberty for you in the grace of Jesus. We want to help. We want to help you walk through it. Let us know. We want to pray with you. We want to break stuff off you. We want to disciple you and, and get the word of God in you that creates liberty in your soul and sets you free of bondage. Amen. Are you feeling me, church? I mean, are you feeling where we've got to be on this point? Now, I'm going to take the next two weeks, and I'm going to walk through biblically and deal with uh, some of the, the uh, some of it, what you have is you have a whole movement that's saying, well, no, the Bible doesn't actually say that homosexuality is a sin. And they're, they're totally twisting and trying to re-instruct people over the traditional views that the scripture has offered. I want to work through those next week and equip you when you come in contact with people that, that uh, promote sort of you can be gay and saved and serve, you know, just serve Jesus. We're going to deal uh, with that on a biblical basis. And then I'm going to take another week and I'm just going to walk through common social objections as to why this needs to be accepted rather than calling people out of it. And I'm just going to walk through those two and deal with the logic of some of these ideas. And we're just going to get a clarity. And my heart is to equip us so that we're clear on these points so we can make a stand for righteousness. I feel like I've been tough on us, on the church, and I want to be tough on us. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is come out as if I'm railing on homosexuals. That's not, that's not what we need to be. And I, so I want to call us as a people to repentance. And I would just say, if you've had judgments in your heart against homosexuals, if you've had, uh, you know, 
even hatred in your heart against homosexuals or, or just judgments in your heart with people struggling with homosexuality. This is a time for us to just get real with the Lord and ask the Lord to give us his heart. And I think most people at some time or another have, have stepped over into that self-righteous thing. Most people in the church sometime or another have probably stepped over in that self-righteous thing and in judgment over people struggling with homosexuality. Beloved, we need to be free of that. We need to be free of that. We need to find God's heart of mercy. So I want to pray for that. Um, if that applies to you, I want to invite you forward. I'm stepping forward myself and just saying, Lord, I need more of your heart of mercy. I don't want judgments. I don't want attitudes and, 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 and negative things towards people that are struggling. I want to be able to relate to people struggling in sin with your heart. So if that applies to you, I want to invite you forward. Let's come and let's pray. Let's ask Holy Spirit to deal with us. I would just even challenge you. If there's that, even that hint of self-righteousness in you, even right now, saying, well, I don't need to step forward, da 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 I would just challenge you out of that. If you're protecting your own self-righteousness, I'm challenging you. Deal with it. Just ask the Holy Spirit to come. Speak to us. If you're still there in, in the seat, just, let's just wait on the Lord for a moment. Come, Holy Spirit.